you know, I said we were going to do a quick intro and just talk a little bit. You know how it is. You know. Okay, I didn't know if we were doing like the intro. Two for one. I didn't know if we were doing lowercase intro or uppercase intro, but I'm I'm with you. We do a lowercase intro. Ready? Yes. Lowercase intro. Hello. So what you are about to hear is the live show that we did, I believe, two Saturdays ago now uh, Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. the Authentic Brewing Company over on Prince Avenue. It was a a fun time was had by all the people at Authentic were super sweet to us. We would love we're, you know, we've talked to them about maybe doing another one. Uh, If you didn't come out, we would we highly recommend it. The beer was great. They had very good non-alcoholic options for a brewery. And that's they not did. always something you can count some, on. Yeah. I just slushy. Nice time. They had some juices. Um, so that was all great. But that's what you're about to hear. Uh, Ju- Justin can give you more editing notes. I think we maybe had some technical issues at times. Our technical setup. Yeah. The show In the grand tradition of uh, CBC, the show started about an hour late because we didn't have our shit together in any, in any sense. But... Well, I will say... We learned a lesson, and it's bring your own equipment. You know, Authentic yes. had a lot of really great equipment, but as is the case with all audio things, there is not one way to do anything at all in the mm-hmm. world of audio. And mm-hmm. the pieces that were there, it was most of them. It was like 90% of the things we needed. Yep. And so we had to do a little bit of Jerry Riggin, and we got it to work. But you will hear a little bit of probably a little bit of mess throughout the episode but for the most part it's all still there and so i hope that you enjoy it and so you may be wondering to yourself why the heck are we hearing these guys here at the front of the episode if you're just going to play the episode right after this and it's just because it's been two saturdays it's been a weird long time between our last game against alabama and this game that's coming up uh, on friday against michigan and so we wanted to just kind of speak with you our friends our listeners our audience the folks that listen to the show week to week just about the things that have gone on between then and now. And so do you want to share with us, Nathan, a little bit of what's happening in the world of Georgia football as it pertains to Mr. JT Daniels and Mr. George Pickens? Yeah. So since we last recorded, the COVID uh, Omicron wave has gotten worse. And obviously, you know, that, that's affected uh, quite a bit. That's affected quite a bit of like, you know, the American landscape, much less college football. And in that process, we had a couple of Georgia players who were in the COVID protocol, the COVID uh, protocol, who did not make the initial trip with the team. And that was JT Daniels and George Pickens. The I think the CDC recently shortened the isolation time on asymptomatic cases or just, I think, small. Um, what's the word? Um, cases that don't require hospitalization from 10 days to five days. And after that, George Pickens and JT Daniels came down with the team. Obviously, that's great. I think the biggest impact on that is probably going to be George Pickens because he is, I mean, he is he is a threat that, you know, JT Daniels might not have played if he was healthy. George Pickens, if healthy, is a threat that UGA cannot replace and doesn't really have anything analogous to on its team. And we saw his impact even in a loss at the Alabama game, right? I think if, if Pickens is as healthy as he has been in the last year, which he should be right now, He's probably mm-hmm. going to be, I mean, he, he could be the reason that we win this game and or another game in a couple of weeks. Um, so that, that, that's great. I mean, JT Daniels being good back. I mean, depth is good. I think uh, we're going to talk about the QB situation next, but obviously uh, 
there's no amount of very good five-star players that you want on your team that is too much, right? There's not an amount where you're like, no, that's 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 too many. We we we're done. We've had our fill of five-star players. So uh, having him back in the in the fold is is great news as well. Um, do you want to talk about the? Uh, do you want to talk about the QB situation and the sort of Kirby media oh, yeah. day situation? It's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, we know the question, the question of Stetson or JT Daniels or whoever the hell else we have on the, the roster at this point. Uh, and so, and, and I'm sure Kirby and Munkin and everybody in between has been super excited to have to answer that question over and over and over. And so this week with the latest press conference, um, Kirby and Munkin have seemed to have been like really bullish on Stetson this week. And which is kind of contrary to what some people who uh, have insider information, I'm giving big quotes because this is an audio medium, um, have said is the case. And so I just wanted to kind of talk about why would Kirby and, and Munkin be particularly bullish on Stetson? And why would that be contrary to the rumors that have been swirling around um, all over the place? Where are your feelings? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I think some of it is just a little bit of that is just Kirby is always going to ride. It was always going to back his guy, uh, you know? And so I think they're bullish on him because he's played well at times this season. And, you know, they always say who gives you the best chance to win. And maybe they feel like that that's the case that Stetson does. I will say, you know, saying that JT could play, I do wonder if that to me felt like the first public acknowledgement that there is a ceiling on Stetson from Kirby and, and Munkin. And, you know, maybe just the idea that like he has a leash Obviously, in the SEC championship, he didn't have a leash, right? No matter how far down we got, they rode their guy. And so I wonder, the biggest thing I wonder about is just what is Stetson's leash at this point? Like, how, how many mistakes can he make? Uh, and and I think that God only knows the answer to that, right? But I think that what I heard from Kirby was that at least now there is a leash. Now, the leash might be pretty long still, but I wonder if it has shortened any in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Who can say? I mean, maybe it's something we see. Can you kind of, um, what do you think might be, if that leash is as short or potentially as short at all, as you're kind of mentioning, what do you think might have to happen in order for Stetson to be pulled and JT put in? Because there were moments I know when you were at the SEC championship game where you thought, what does it take? What's the, what, like, where is the, the, the line? Where do we cross? You know, what happens? Uh, What needs to happen in order for there to be a change? Well, I mean, I think, I think if you just see JT, I, I think the thing that you don't want to see from Stetson is an inability to deal with pressure. In particular, if Michigan is able to get constant pressure or, you know, well, not constant, but at least consistent pressure, if their pressure rate's high and he continues to underperform while under pressure, then you have to wonder, like, is that something that can you win a game if Stetson is playing like that? Right. And, and mm-hmm. Michigan is not a team. Michigan has a pretty good pressure rate and they have two, they actually have two very good uh, pass rushers and of, of which either one of them, you know, both of them are going to play, probably play in the league. And honestly, Aiden Hutchinson might be the worst of the two. Uh, but I think this, I think the situation you have to, that you're going to have to be in is not just a single interception or a single bad play. It's going to just be like, it does if Kirby and, and Munkin feel like that they can't win the game with how Stetson is dealing with the pressure on the field, like the either the physical pass rush pressure or the pressure of the moment, which doesn't seem to be an issue with them, uh, then I think they'll pull him. Right. And and that's the problem. It's like 
you know, Stetson has some mobility, but he's bad under pressure, right? He can run a little bit, but passing under pressure, I think that I saw that he has a he has a lower uh, uncatchable pass. He said he has a higher uncatchable pass rate than uh, complete than not not even completion percentage, but success rate while under pressure. Which means if you put pressure on Stetson Bennett on like third and six, he's actually way more likely to throw the ball up where it can't be caught at all than he is to throw a ball that gets you a first down. And I think if they get steady pressure on him and he continues to do that, especially if there's a pick while he's doing that, that would be what what really turns the thing or what really turns the the QB mm-hmm. situation. And, and I also think too, like Stetson's mobility has been is a really big deal. But I think that in the Alabama game, it became clear that like his mobility is what's saving him when his passing ability isn't there. And if we continue to see a situation where like he just crumples under pass rush pressure, then I think that's going to be something that you have to, I think that's what you, that's a moment when Kirby is going to have to think about it. So yeah, I mean, it should be a lot of fun. I know that we're we're not going to get too far into, you know, actual game talk here in this moment because you're about to hear 40 minutes of it in just a moment. So, um, is there anything else that you're really excited about this weekend? I know you're not going to the game. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, share, share a little bit about what it is you're excited about, you know, in this moment, in this season. Uh, well, I mean, well, personally, like, I'm not going to the game because Samantha couldn't go um, because there just weren't spots for her. And then so, and I knew that she didn't want me, she didn't want to spend another New Year's Eve alone. And so I told Brett I had to see about a girl. And Brett caught the Goodwill Hunting reference, which I respect to him, Doctor <laughs> Bacham. Um, but I'm excited to spend New Year's Eve with my wife for the first time. And well, obviously last year we did because nobody went to the bowl game. But before that, I hadn't spent New Year's Eve with my wife in like a decade. So this will be the second one in a row, which is pretty exciting. Um, but as for the game, I mean, look, I think, and you will hear me say this in a moment. Uh, but I, I continue to think, and and the more I've thought about it, it's just like there is a blueprint on tape for how to beat this UGA team. I do not know that Michigan has the pieces to construct that blueprint because I do think that uh, David Ojabo is the other pass rusher opposite Aiden Hutchinson. And he might, I think he's actually better than Aiden Hutchinson. Um, But I think those, those two defensive ends that Michigan have might give Stetson Bennett problems. I think it's going to probably be a low scoring game, but Michigan has good wide receivers and they have two really good running backs, but they generally play the game the way UGA wants to play it. Yes. Uh, McNamara has a very deep depth of target and he will bomb the ball. He will throw deep off of play action and early on early downs too. Josh Gaddis is a very good offense coordinator, but generally playing and play out Michigan wants to run plays that UGA wants to defend. If that makes sense. Right. How did, how did yeah. Alabama beat UGA? Right. They stretched the field downfield. They put pressure on UGA safeties and they basically caught UGA. I mean, they, they, they caught us pretty flat footed on some, on some team, on some plays like, you know, like a slant route that goes for 80 yards and a touchdown. That's not any like crazy schematic thing. That's just like, you got a guy out of position and, you know, maybe they did that formationally, but still they ultimately the thing that, that won Alabama, that game was really good outside skill talent. Right. And that is what has, is on tape that shows that you need if you're going to beat UGA. And Michigan just doesn't have that, right? Michigan could win this game, but I continue to feel pretty good about it because, like, there's a, there's a level after which you're like, okay, Alabama's Alabama. They have another first-round wide receiver. They have maybe two. Mechie, before he got hurt, was probably also a first-rounder. They 
they had a guy who was just a cheat code have a Heisman moment, right? And that happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know how replicable that is with Matt, the the offense that Michigan has because UGA would Kirby would love to win this game seventeen to ten, <laughs> completely comfortable with it, right? <laughs> Kirby hates winning games 35-28, 35-34, 42-35. He hates winning games like that. He loves winning a 17-10 game. And I think in general that this is a team where it's like, like the what Michigan wants to do to you is pound you into dust and then throw over the top. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They have they have decent wide receiver talent, but it really comes down to Hassan Haskins and a very good offensive line. They won the Moore Award for the best offensive line in the nation. Uh, getting... Uh, just like getting you on some very basic old school pass play or running plays. And that is the kind of game that Dan Lanning and for this game and Kirby smart and will Muschamp. again, I will, I'm about, you're about to hear me say it, but like that is the kind of game that Kirby smart has wet dreams about. Like you want to play in a phone booth. Great. Right. <laughs> Do you want to be in a phone booth with Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith and, I mean, like any of them, it doesn't matter. Just name anybody in the front seven, right? And Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker. Like, do you want to be a phone with those guys? Like, come on. Like, so I, I, that's all a long way of saying, I continue to feel like this is a game that matches up really well for UGA. I think like if you were going to pick a top five team, which I think Michigan is, that you would want to play in the first round of the playoffs, it would actually be Michigan. Because like Michigan is the team that, that plays the game the way that UGA wants to play it, right? We, mm-hmm. I, we've said this several times before, but like, if you're going to beat this UGA team, you have to make them play the game the way they don't want to. And only yeah. one team has really been, had the talent to do that, and I'm not sure that Michigan does. That's not to say that Michigan can't win, because you might just get Stetson to throw three interceptions and Kirby res- uh, refuses to pull him. But this is a game where I think you match up pretty well, and I continue to feel that yeah. way. We'll definitely hear more about the the details of exactly everything that Nathan just said because I it felt like deja vu there for a moment of just hearing I'm him sorry. say all those things once I, more. I'm sorry that you, uh, you were like, "How are you feeling?" And I'm like, "Well, let me tell you this thing I already talked about again." And I, I wasn't trying no, to be sarcastic, good. but that's still just how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is, and, and you'll get into the details of it, the actual stats, uh, bits and pieces of that on uh, the episode you're about to hear. And but before that, we do want to. Uh, Say thank you to everybody again for coming to the show. It was really awesome. A lot more people than we expected would show up did show up, and that was really exciting. And less than half of them were related to us, and that was really cool. Uh, and also, my and, whole family, like my whole every member of my close family, showed up. It was mm-hmm. absolutely insane. And bo- and oh, yes, you're right. There were a lot of like CBC stalwarts there. A lot of CBC. I, I don't know what we would call like our, our patrons that have our, our ride or die bitches were there our patron saints our patron saints yeah absolutely yeah we saw a lot of of our patrons were there a lot of our patrons that showed up i really thought it was going to be me and justin and our wives and so when like the third person other than those four people walked in i was like we're going to be okay i was very tense if you hear me and i seem like i'm anxious and nervous it's because i am i don't know why it was more anxiety inducing to do this against like you know 20 people live than it is to do it in front of hundreds of people on a recorded uh, on a recorded format but it was and i and i can't explain it so it was weird it was definitely weird i will say it was super cool to have people like laugh at jokes instead of um hoping they laugh when they listen to it later that was really cool <laughs> um but hey 
we, we before we get into that though, I do want to share uh, a quick C- Ask CBC that, or a couple Ask CBCs that came in after the show actually came, uh, after after the show was actually recorded there live, and so. Uh, both of these are really good questions, and so I just wanted to share them with you real quick, and um, after that, we'll get into the show. But the first one comes from <laughs> Matzilla Dickens, which Matzilla was also there with his partner at the show, which was very exciting to see you both. Um, so Matzilla and Leah, thank you so much for being there. Uh, Matzilla says, good afternoon to you, sirs. I hope this email finds you well and in holiday spirits. It was a pleasure to meet you both in real life at the CBC Live show. The SEC Championship was the best of times and the worst of times for Georgia's football season. Will Ebenezer Smart be visited by the ghosts of championships past over Christmas to learn the errors of his ways, including his conservative game plans and choice of hairstyle? Will tiny, fast boy Tim Cook have a miracle game against a top 25 run defense? Kirby Copperfield and the team can learn from the novel Great Expectations, from which I quote, Suffering has been stronger than all other teaching and has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I have been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. Here are some footballing questions. One. <laughs> Jesus. What? <laughs> is, is he secretly a Dickensian scholar? I believe that might be the case. He had the facial hair of a Dickensian <laughs> scholar. He did, though. Yes. That was a good, that uh, was very, a good uh, reference. Mr. Darcy of him. Yeah. That, um, that was a, okay. Well, hold on. That would be an Austin scholar. We might say very, I don't know, Mrs. Cavendish You're right, didn't yeah. have, Pip didn't That's have. That's fair. I don't know, somebody from Bleak House probably, I don't know. I feel like Dickens scholars love Bleak House. It's so good. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for footballing questions, number one, I think Georgia is under more pressure than Michigan to get a result in the Orange Bowl. How does this affect the team's preparation? And will we see another single quarter collapse against Michigan due to said pressures? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that, I don't really think that outside pressure, how can I say this? Pressure matters in games, right? Like, but it's much more personal. It's much more like if we lose this game, our season's over. Most of these guys, like, keep in mind, there are very few people that were on the team when we played in the Rose Bowl, right? On this team. Mm -hmm. And so like, most of the team just this is just a really big game, right? Like, you know, I I don't think that you know Brock Bowers or or I don't know name random freshman or sophomore on this team give a mm. shit about the pressure the way we think of pressure, right? Like, because we think of pressure of like, what's Kirby's legacy? Is he ever going to win a national championship? Like, they don't give a shit about that, right? They care about winning the game because it's a big game. So in that sense, I think no, it's not going to affect our pressure at all. I mean. You know, I think that the pressure, the the kind of outside pressure that you're talking about, the pressure that we would talk about, like media narrative pressure, I don't know that Kirby really gives a shit about that. I mean, I think some of Kirby's hostility towards the media in general is that is to be sort of like performatively not giving a shit about that, right? Like he he doesn't care about the whole, like, will Kirby win a national title because his job is to win a national title? And so it's like that question is kind of academic, right? The The better mm-hmm. question is, how can Kirby win a national title, right? Like he, he really doesn't care about will he or will he not or what it means for his legacy or whatever. I mean, he might when he's like 60 or whatever, but I, I, I don't know that – I don't really think pressure goes either way. I think both these teams are under pressure, right? I think, you know, I think if you want to talk about just the way that the playoff is, the way the bracket is set up, I think that everyone is really angry at Alabama because if Michigan – in I think the – Matchup wise, 
if you're Michigan, you probably would rather play anybody other than Georgia, right? Because even if you're Michigan and you have to play Alabama, Alabama's defense doesn't match up well against your offense, right? Where and and people have had success doing what Michigan does against Alabama's defense, right? And and I think Georgia has the only defense in the in the playoff that is sort of designed from the ground up to beat an offense like Michigan's. So like in that sense, I think Michigan has a lot of pressure, but I don't really think the like pressure the way we think about it, like that anybody inside of the building gives a shit about that. Question two. What does the Orange Bowl look like for the Redcoats? What sort of prep is done? What's the travel and practice schedule like? Are there any perks for the band going to a big bowl game? Uh, Yeah, so big bowl games, there's a lot of moving parts. And I can't really answer the entire question because that would be its own show. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, prep is very much a like you treat every game the same way kind of thing in football where it's like we're playing a show we've played before. We're playing a pregame we've played before. A lot of the prep is about logistics. Where do people need to be? How do we get them there? How do people get housed? How do people get transported? Uh, You know, for instance, when you're going to Miami on buses, you can't do it in one day because bus drivers can only drive a certain amount of time. So the Redcoats went to Jacksonville, I think, yesterday, spent a night in Jacksonville, and then went Jacksonville to Miami today. Um, So a lot of the bull prep is less on the performance side and more on the you know, logistics are always a nightmare with this many people, right? Redcoats more move like five times as many people as the football team does, right? Football team mm-hmm. is like 150, 200 people at max. It's 85 scholarship players, right? Redcoats is like 450, maybe 500. Um, and then, well, I think that number is capped in the college football playoff, but whatever. It's 450 people instead of 100 or whatever. Um, and then... You know, in terms of prep, like there's there's almost always a practice out on the trip. I think the Redcoats are practicing tomorrow. Um, a lot of the times it's in a stadium or it's at a local high school. A lot of times there's a practice on the day of the game. I'm not sure if there will be this time. Um, hmm. It just really depends on what your performance situation is, right? Uh, when you're doing the same pregame show that you've done a hundred times, maybe you only take one practice when you're doing a when you're doing a halftime show and you feel a little bit iffy on it you might take two either way you're going to take at least one probably the day before or two days before the game uh in terms of perks i mean the perk is that it's like an all expense paid trip to wherever you're going on the bowl game right you uh the way it works is that basically like any meal that the redcoats don't cater right so like any meal that they don't get a catered meal they have to be paid state per diem rates uh, and those per diem rates are based on how expensive the city is. So a lot of times if you go to a big bowl game, it's in an expensive city. So you got a lot of per diem. Um, I know that like, in, or at least when I was in Redcoats, the move was always to like basically try to save the per diem. Um, and, you know, if you get $100 of per diem, you want to spend 25 of it or whatever and just eat at McDonald's if you have to. Um, and then let's see. I, I mean, th- there's always like little perks. Like you get a hat or you get. I don't know, some kind of goodie bag or whatever. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, the perk is this, that you get to be there, you know, in the stadium or in the, in, you know, all expense paid trip to this place. And usually you have a couple of days to hang out. And sometimes there's like an outing arranged, like they'll go go-karting or they'll go to an arcade or whatever. Uh, and then you get to go to the game. And obviously that is sort of a work day, but it's also like you're going to this really big game and you're getting basically what amounts to like sideline passes. 
I wanted to ask you too, is it more fun to go to, this is Justin speaking, not Madzilla. Is it more fun to go to a big bowl game or one that really doesn't matter? Uh, let's see. Um, you've been to both. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's two different experiences. They're both great. I will say I love bowl games that I love the Gator Bowl. I loved, I, you know, honestly, I had a lot of fun in Shreveport at the, I don't even know what that is. What is that? Independence Bowl. Um, it, the band experience, like in terms of like the fun quotient before the time, has a lot more to do with like what is there to do in the city. So like if you're going to the Capital One goal or I don't know, the Cheez-It Bowl, I think is in Orlando, like that's great, right? Because like you're probably going to go to, they're probably going to pay for the whole band to go to like Universal or whatever, right? And that's super cool. Uh, if you go to Tampa mm-hmm. and you're like on the ocean and your beach is waterfront or you go to the Gator Bowl and you're on the ocean and you have a waterfront hotel, like, yeah, that's fun as hell. Um, obviously, when you get to the game, the game can be a little bit lackluster, right? But the experience is really mm-hmm. just about where the game is. Um, I think, you know, game-wise, yeah, I mean, we, there's extra juice when you go to like like when you go to the like the Sugar Bowl in some ways is like the best of both worlds, right? Because it's like a big game that's in a city that's fun to be in. And so there's always a lot of juice when you get there for the game. You're usually playing like a big team. You're playing Texas or Baylor or whatever, West Virginia or Hawaii or whoever we played. Uh, like it's a good helmet game. And, you know, it's usually a pretty well-run bowl. It's not like a nightmare. And honestly, a lot of the experience of the bowl has to do with how well organized the bowl is from – the bowl side because they're like corporations that run these bowls. Like the orange bowl is an organization that has like a CEO and a board of directors and stuff. And so a lot of times Mm -hmm. how good the band experience is depends a lot on how good that group of people are. And I think the orange bowl has been fine. I, you know, I mean, and so the day of a lot of what your experience as a band member is, is based on like, uh, how far do you have to walk from parking? Like, where are you unloading? Where are you setting up? Do you have room in the stands, right? Did they shortchange you on seats? Did Is there easy access between the stands and the field or do you have to walk all the way around the thing? Or like, do you have room to get set up on the sideline? These are all like little things that matter a lot experientially. I mean, generally speaking, they're all fun. I would prefer a big bowl. And I think like, if you want to talk about in, in sort of non-college football playoff, like the Cadillac experience so far as I'm concerned, is the Sugar Bowl. Tends to be pretty well run. Obviously, there's stuff to do in New Orleans, right? Like the where they put you up at a riverfront hotel. Like the riverfront Marriott is usually, I think, where UGA stay. Or it's a Marriott either on Canal Street or on the riverfront. So you're like right there in the middle of everything. You do all the touristy stuff. The food's amazing. And the game still matters. Um, also, like New Orleans, like the the traffic situation is okay because you have a police escort but you don't have to go far to the stadium to i don't know what they call it the mercedes dome or whatever um so that's all a long way of saying that they're both great but i think the real like middle ground that's amazing is the sugar bowl is i think the gold standard and so that actually talking about bowl games i mentioned uh in the pre-recording that i was going to bring up a very exciting and um, fun story that Anna has shared with me that I wanted to share with all of you from one of her bowl games. And so I don't think, I know she went to a few SEC championship games. I think she went to three while she was a red coat. Um, I think that's right. She was definitely at the, the, you know, the Aaron Murray um, to Malcolm Mitchell, I believe it was Malcolm Mitchell. 
uh, end of SEC championship game against Alabama that was basically the national championship where Alabama went on to steamroll Notre Dame. But uh, one of my favorite bowl game stories, you know, Anna always used to talk about their stipends that they got and, uh, you know, saving up your stipends to kind of like ball out for a minute because otherwise you're just a broke college student. But it's also a time to like see all of the other people that are involved with the football team throughout the year and sometimes it's consequential for them to to like be 100% dialed in or sometimes it's not and sometimes you're just in a cool city with other like hot people that you want to go hang out with and that's basically what this was where uh, Anna used to be a class checker and those of you that are unfamiliar with being a class checker it was somebody that showed up before and after classes for athletes to make sure that they were showing up to classes and so they had to stand there and wait um, X number of minutes before the class started, and X for the record, I think that was started. the job that I got her. By the way, did it? Okay, yeah, um, anyway, carry on. So yeah, and that, then you did the same thing at the end of the class as well, and so it was a really quick way to to make money, and it was necessary for eligibility and criteria, but. Anna was a class checker for Chris Conley back in the day, wide receiver for that same team that we were just talking about. And um, they, you know, Chris Conley is very much a, a bit of a Star Wars nerd, uh, went on to play in the NFL. But on, on one of our first dates, she told me the story and she was like, do you know who that is? And I was like, yes, I know who that is. And I'm so sorry I'm not making millions of dollars right now <laughs> when you could have been hanging out with Chris Conley. I jokingly said, and she was like, well, yeah, actually, um, on a bowl game, he did reach out to me. Like he, he, you know, he knew that she was a red coat. He was a big fan of the red coats as well. And, uh, they were going down to Florida for one of the bowl games. And he said, well, we should hang out after the bowl. Um, you know, whether we win or lose, we should just hang out anyway. And so she was like, yes, absolutely. And so she got Chris Conley's number and, um, day of Anna, of course, used her stipend to ball out as one does. Um, and in true Anna fashion, purchased a, a burger that was entirely too much food to f- eat in one sitting, but still ate it anyway, because once again, baller status was very important in this moment, and she wasn't about to waste food, uh, but ate a burger that was too big, went back to her hotel room, received the text to come hang out, and couldn't because... <laughs> she was sick from eating too much burger. And so this is one of my favorite stories that she tells from time to time. First story she told me um, on one of our first dates as well. So um, that's when you knew you had to wife her. Yeah, that was it. That was the one <laughs> that was the time, but had to, had to turn down Chris Conley because too much burger, you know, it is what it is. It happens. Uh, and I'm uh, RIP what could have been. But there is a, you know, there's a scenario out there, a world out there or a timeline out there in which Anna and Chris Conley did hang out that night. And who knows what happened after that? Who can say? And the problem uh, is, but more power then, to them. then I don't get to be on this podcast with you. But maybe I am friends with someone married to Chris Conley. Right. So it's like, mm. it's like, what a hard trade off. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So. Next question from Matt Zilla. Sorry, this question has gone just forever. But next question, why do the Sousas only sporadically use the Power G bell covers? By the way, it was very cool to hear about the Satin Sousas a few episodes back. Uh, well, the, the Power G bell covers are for basketball band. So I think they use them, like they've used them this year a couple of times when they go on derby strips and they have few enough people that they have enough basketball cam- covers to do them. Right now, if you see the plain black basketball covers, that's a COVID or uh, bell covers. That's a COVID thing, not a, not a like appearance thing. Uh, it's a like, you know, spread transmission kind of deal. Um, and all of the band has them right now, by the way. So the, the only other, like, I mean, I think the, the bell cover thing is sort of, 
I don't know, relatively overblown. I mean, they look good, but they do hurt your sound a little bit. They mute, they muffle your sound slightly. And I, I would say post COVID, we will almost certainly go back to not using them except for in basketball band. Mm-hmm. And in parting, I leave you with some cozy Christmas vibes provided again by Charles Dickens. Happy, happy Christmas that can win us back to the delusions of our childish days, that can recall to the old man the pleasures of his youth, that can transport the sailor and the traveler thousands of miles away back to his own fireside and his quiet home. Sincerely yours, Matzilla Dickens. That he did at a PS. Is Nathan related to Ben Lawrence? I used to work for Ben at the UGA libraries and it has been funny seeing him at the live show. (laughs) Oh yes, Ben is my younger brother. I don't know if this is a facetious question because Ben does look like a bearded hippie version of me. Uh, That's true. So yes, Ben is my younger brother. He's three years younger than me. And yes. I love it. And as we said before, uh, the rest of the episode is now here. Um, You very well may hear all of this part at the end of the episode. I don't know. Um, I'm about to put it in and see what makes the most sense. We're going to do it somehow. You'll you'll hear it regardless. Yeah. You'll hear all of this, whether it's before we talk (laughs) to a live audience or after. It's going to be in there. But I hope you enjoy it. It has been a lot of fun uh, putting this together this season. And we'll see you on the other side of this Michigan game. We will almost certainly record another episode regardless of what happens. So, Love, love, love. Love, love, love. So, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Welcome to Chapel Bell's Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan. And I am Justin, somehow. And we want to say, for everyone who's here, thank you. We are currently live at Authentic Brewing in Yes, lovely Authentic Brewing. Yeah. It is... It is the most reputable business in Athens that would still tolerate our presence. It's true. There's 700 people here. Right in that line of... Not reputable enough to not accept us, but reputable enough that they have a liquor license. They so didn't here pay we are. us, so there's that, I guess. And if you're not here for this, again, we're sorry. We already ran a family out of here. Um, <laughs> I said the word bitch. I apologize. You so t- you said the today bitch we are here. We won't do that. To, I'm sorry. We won't do that anymore. Uh, we're going to stop. We're, uh, I might stop. All right. Today, we are here to preview UGA's Orange Bowl matchup uh, between uh, your fight in Georgia Bulldogs and the most dad book of all college football programs, the University of Michigan. The University Uh, of Michigan khakis. Yeah, it's just like if a college football program liked to read Master and Commander. That's uh, the University of Michigan. So we're going to start today with subjective narratives and news. Justin, cue me up. (laughs) Pitch me that ball, yeah. Yes. So uh, at this point, I don't have to do the thing mostly where I'm like, this is what we do. So I'll just kind of get right into it, you know. Uh, we had some news. You know, this is that weird part of the year where, uh, like, we have a few weeks between things going on, and so a lot happens. And so, those of you that aren't aware, Dan Lanning's leaving. You know, Dan Lanning himself, the defensive coordinator for the UGA, is leaving. And so, I just wanted to kind of bring that up and kind of get your thoughts and kind of where we're headed. Oh, oh Justin's uh, mic out. There it is. Where yeah. is? How is Georgia going to? How are we going to feel? Uh, well, we're going to put. I think uh, Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann as co-coordinators. Uh, Glenn Schumann is probably like the rising star on UGA's uh, current coaching staff right now. Um, I mean, it makes me sad. A, a person who is important in my life who has attracted men has said that Dan Lanning is the hottest piece of ass on UGA's, it was me. On UGA's uh, I was the football man. staff. <laughs> and um, so that, that, of course, makes me sad. Yeah, no, he is. He's like big and square and he has a beard. I can't imagine who would have said that. Anyway, uh, Lanning was a guy, he was at 
Lanning was a guy who was at Pittsburgh, and he was at Arizona State, and then he was at Memphis, and he got hand recruited by Kirby Smart. So he's clearly very smart. Um, very, very smart. He's had a huge impact on UJ's defense schematically, and I think you can't underestimate his impact as a recruiter. But mm-hmm. UJ is in, has an enviable amount of depth on the uh, on the coaching staff. Hello, Anna. No, it's just saying hi. Okay. Track the boy. Um, Don't track the boy. UJ has an, an enviable <laughs> amount of uh, depth on the coaching staff, so I'm not too worried. Uh, I mean, Will Muschiev is a, is a former bad SEC coach, and former SEC coaches tend to make good defensive coordinators. Yeah. What's really important and very fun about the situation, though, is watching all of the other coaches from reputable programs leave, and ours was kind of like, shrug, it's fine. We got two other well, dudes. Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's a, symbol, it's a symbol of really, not symbol, but it's it's significant of the fact that UGA is successful as a program, that its, co- its coaches are getting recruited away to power five mm-hmm. coaching positions. Yeah. I think. It's in the way that he left as well, I think, which is really, uh, yeah. you know, we, we had all of, who There's did kind we of have? kind of a journalistic from, kerfuffle yeah. about it, yeah. LSU, uh, whole situation was very funny to me when uh, Brian Kelly leaving in the night. Who else left in the night? There was somebody else. Well, uh, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame in the night. Uh, yeah. Irish got by them and went to Lincoln LSU. Riley left in the night. Lincoln Riley left in the night, yeah. And then so. Dan Landing came out in the world and said, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I am. It's fine. And everyone's like, that's, that's totally cool. All right. So what's our next start? Tell us about some uh, the new boys we got coming in. National Signing Day just happened. Yeah, so. early National Signing Day hits. I think UJ is currently the third-ranked class per the 24-7 composite. I mean, not a lot to th- talk about other than just like a continued um, string of incredible success on the recruiting trail. Anytime I look up and see people watching me, I s- lose my entire train of thought. So I'm just going to look down. <laughs> just look at right my, at the computer. Shyness is not something I've often been accused of, but here we are. Um, yeah, so I mean... Probably one of the better defensive backfield classes in the history of modern recruiting. Um, you have your quarterback, the future, and Gunnar Stockton from Tiger, Georgia. Raymond great County. name. Great name. Great name. Gunnar Stockton, Tiger, Georgia. Born to be a Georgia football player. Um, has two names that shouldn't be names. It's incredible. Uh, G-U-N-N-A-R. It's, it's beautiful. Um, like a but, Star Wars character. Yeah, I mean, I think easily could figure uh, could end in the top two, but the, the delineation between three, two, and one in the, in the recruiting rankings is really not that big. It's really more about fit and... Like, it, did you get what you needed? And UGA needed a very good defensive backs class, and we certainly got it. Uh, Malachi Starks is the number one safety in the nation. Um, Mara, let's see. He's really one of the highlights. Gunnar Stockton. We got the number two running back in the nation. So, I mean, this isn't really a recruiting podcast, but it's good. Short, long story short. All right. We got a long line of boys coming. They're all yeah. on the way. They're all tall and strong. <laughs> All yep. very tall and strong. Uh, you know, we like to talk about some some headlines we see coming through. One of the headlines that I, I saw, nobody's really talking as much about the game yet because there's still a week before it's like prime time to discuss the game. And so one headline I did find that I wanted to to share with you just to kind of get your blood, you know, flowing in the right direction was Georgia football isn't anywhere close to being ready to take on red hot Michigan. So tell me a little bit about how you, how that makes you feel, Nathan, and, and you know, just the, the way too early takes on that situation. I really resent the, the fact that you're, like, lighting me up to get angry Red here. hot um, Michigan. Let's see. Uh, I mean, like, this is the kind of thing that we rail about. It's a narrative, right? I mean, there is no such thing as game to game. Every game is its – I mean, there might be momentum in a game, but every game is its own game, and there's no such thing as game to game momentum. Mm-hmm. Teams lose all the time, and they win the next game. One That's of them has to lose. That's randomness and causality, right? There's nothing – like saying that a football team is red hot just means they've won a lot, which means they're talented and they're well coached, but that, that's basically meaningless. It's, in, it's infuriating. And the thing about, and while I'm talking about this. And one more thing. And one more thing. The number of people who like work at the New Yorker and the New York Times who went to Michigan is just absolutely infuriating. Like what you're going to see over the next few days is some real, like, I would say barely disguised classism about the South because pe- people from the North and the Northeast have like sort of, I think a, well, sports journalists from the North and the Northeast 
uh, and I guess the Midwest have like a poorly concealed sense of um, disdain for Southern football programs. Um, and it's going to infuriate me. And I know someone's going to talk about research institutions and like how good Michigan is, is as a school and how cool the big house is and what a tradition it is. And Bo Schimblecker and like, fuck, I don't fucking care, man. <laughs> I don't care about any of it. Like, come on. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ride high off of this high that we're we're kind of building onto. I want to introduce a game to get us really in the spirit. I know we're a little bit further away from the game. We still got two weeks, and so I want to get you in the spirit of this Georgia and Michigan uh, a game we got coming up. So I want I'm gonna introduce a game called Wolverine or Wolverine real quick. And in this game, Nathan, I'm going to tell you some tidbits, some little bits of information, and I want you to tell me is that Jim Harbaugh the Wolverine or is that Hugh Jackman? Is that a fact about Hugh Jackman or Jim Harbaugh? Okay. Do you understand the rules of the game? Yeah. So just for someone who's here who doesn't care about football, Jim Harbaugh is Michigan's coach. This is very clearly a football podcast. So here we go. First one. Wolverine or Wolverine. This Wolverine's very first dream was to become a world-famous journalist that traveled to foreign war zones, very similar to the one and only Anderson Cooper. Is this, like, in-universe Wolverine, like Logan, or is this facts about You tell me, Nathan. (laughs) Okay, so... Logan was born in the 1800s, oh before the advent of modern journalism. So before yellow journalism and purple prose. Jim Harbaugh wears pleated khakis, so I'm going to say Jim Harbaugh. That's, uh, that's actually Hugh Jackman. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. This Wolverine is famously known as being a smokeless tobacco user, something that he doesn't hide from the general public, but has come under scrutiny from time to time. Is that... Jim Harbaugh or Hugh Jackman? It's got to be. It's got to be Harbaugh because Hugh Jackman can kind of sing, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a PE coach, so there's no way that he's a smoke. <laughs> he was. He was a PE coach before he was a. Though to be fair, being a PE to- coach, I would say that is more reason. He was a for PE smokeless coach tobacco. at a private school in England. Who you got? Who is okay, it? Okay, I'm. Pi- I'm saying Jim Harbaugh. That is Jim Harbaugh. That's correct. All right, there we go. One and one. Yeah, there you go. One for All one. Right. This Wolverine has a huge crush on George it's huge, Clooney. It's Hugh Jackman. You it don't even have Jackman. to finish. It's, it's Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Yeah, it's Hugh Jackman. Very good. This Wolverine's favorite drink of choice is to have meal. Uh, at all of his meals is milk. A big old glass of milk. Oh, pleated khakis. That's Jim Harbaugh. That's Jim Harbaugh, baby. You got it. There you go. Right. Now you got Two your one, baby. You found Let's it. Go. There's your rhythm. Before this Wolverine was famous, he made ends meet by working as a professional clown by the name of Coco. Uh. <laughs> Which really Wolverine this, is that? I want this to be true about both. Um, Wouldn't that be I'm funny? I'm going to say Jim, Har- take, Jim Harbaugh takes himself too seriously to be a professional clown. I'm going to just guess Hugh Jackman. That's correct. It's Hugh Jackman. Yes. Yes. You're doing very good. Oh, God. All I'm right. wrong. This Wolverine has publicly acknowledged being unabashedly polyamorous, at one point having three partners at the same time. Which Wolverine is that, Nathan? I really wish it was Jim Harbaugh, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm pretty sure that's Hugh Jackman. That is actually the creature, the Wolverine. <laughs> You can't change the rules of the game. That's it's like, my game. That's the mustelid. It's my like game. the actual animal. Yeah, the animal, the Wolverine, yes. Okay. This Wolverine's idol growing up was Olivia Newton-John. Who is that? Which Wolverine? Hugh Jackman. That's correct. That's yes, yeah. very good. You're back on, back on track. It's okay. This Wolverine has said before that he models his life after the one and only SpongeBob SquarePants, saying that he has an enthusiasm for life that is unmatched. Which Wolverine is that? I want to say it's the animal Wolverine, but I'm going to guess Jim Harbaugh. That's Jim Harbaugh. That's correct, yes. Hell yeah. Jim Harbaugh's oh. a weird guy, y'all. I did he a lot is, of research on Jim he Harbaugh. He really likes milk. He loves milk. That dude loves some milk. 
this Wolverine has gone by two nicknames over the course of their lifetime, Benny and Biff. Which oh, I know. This is, is a quick, this is a trick question. This is a this trick is question. The Wolverine live mo- mascot that Michigan had. That's in correct. Yes. Yeah. See, you figured Boom. me out. You figured out my Wolverine puzzle. This Wolverine is only five foot three, but weighs a whopping three hundred pounds. Which Wolverine is that? That's Logan. I've read a comic book before. Wrong. That's Jim Harbaugh. What? No. Let's no, talk about football. What do you, you say? Can't just move on from that. No, I got it right. I need you to acknowledge. You got it right. That's that correct. That was correct. I lost track of how well you did, but you did a great job. Thank you. Are you in the spirit to talk about football? Yes, now? I'm good. Great. Awesome. <laughs> Incredible. Thanks y'all for being here, by the way. Uh, All right, let's do it. This is very stupid. Okay, Winsipedia. You know, we tend to still. We start out these, these episodes to talk a little bit about the history. We talk about subjective narratives, and we get into the real nitty-gritty, you know, the stuff you all came for, of course. Uh, to talk about these dynasties, these programs, this is a one-for-one series. Georgia's 1-1, one, one, Michigan's 1-1. One, one. Uh, the current win streak is Georgia with one win back in 1965. So let's keep it going. What do you say? Uh, this is an interesting matchup, though, because I didn't know this, really. Maybe all that clout you were talking about earlier that Michigan claims to have might be true just because of all, they are the winningest program of all time, I will say. 976 wins, not the highest percentile win record, but the most wins of any football program, uh, which I thought was funny because they have, they're roughly like a little bit over 20 losses from being number one, and all those losses came from Jim Harbo himself. Very good job, Jim. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan is, I mean, they, Michigan had very good teams in a time when not only did you not have to play players, that you could openly exploit them. And they also got a lot of pre-desegregation national championships. Yeah. I'm not saying that puts an asterisk on everything that they did and all of their accomplishments, but it does. Just a racist um, little asterisk. Yeah. I mean, look, we can't be throwing stones here having a <laughs> university in Georgia, but I'm just saying. That's like, fair. Yeah. I'll throw stones both ways. There were busing riots in Boston in the 1980s. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, um, yeah, Michigan is... I don't know. I mean, they're a national power. I mean, they're one of the best, one of, if not the best college football programs of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, the Michigan helmet, the, the block M, go big blue, like every tradition they have the is something house. that, every tradition they have is something that someone on college football media would become deeply aroused about if they saw. Like, the, there's nothing that Michigan doesn't do that someone isn't like, oh my God, about every time they do it. It's deeply obnoxious. Deeply, deeply obnoxious. But yeah, I mean, I mean, fifth in NFL draft picks, second in national championships, third in conference championships, first all-time in total wins, um, third in, consecu- in consensus All-Americans. I mean, sick, third in Heisman winners. Like this is a, a an unrivaled dynasty. And just the, the fact that they've had Ohio State in their division for the last few years to block them doesn't change anything about it. I mean, in terms of just like a helmet game, this is the game that like. Other than Alabama and Michigan, this is probably the biggest helmet game that's been in the college football playoff era, um, just because of the sort of gravity of the, these two teams. I think uh, every episode you say something that I'm like, I don't know what that means. And what? helmet game is something you've never said for the last five years. Is helmet this game. is the it's like, it's biggest like helmet you, game. This team just, has a bigger helmet than this no, team. No, it's not the size of the helmets, you jackass. It's not no, the size that matters, no, I know. Like, shut up. It's like... If you just took someone off the street and uh-huh. showed them the two helmets, these are two of the like highest impact brands in mm-hmm. the nation of college football. Like, like the Michigan Wolverine winged helmets. Like, it's something that, like, the like they have their own name. Their helmet design has its own name, man. Like these these teams. Like Michigan was playing. Michigan was playing really good college football when the forward pass was illegal. You know Ooh. what I'm saying? So it's like. Uh, it's very racy. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's talk about actual football then. We've talked about cool helmets. We've talked about Hugh Jackman. So let's, talk do, about let's do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's players to watch on Michigan. I mean, there's basically three players you got to know about. Michigan's offense runs through Hassan Haskins, 1,288 yards this year, 20 TDs, 4.9 yards per carry. 
against top 25 AP teams, he also has 4.9 yards per carry. He's been, I mean, he's the fulcrum around which this team turns. Any time that they've, the only time they lost was against Michigan State, and it was basically because they bottled up Hassan Haskins the best that they could. This guy is going to touch the rock 30 to 35 games uh, times this game at least. And basically, their whole offensive strategy is predicated around them because Cade McNamara, who's their quarterback, um, he has, he's gone for tw- almost 2,500 yards this year. Beer burp. 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. Part of the territory. Yeah, 64% completion rate. Is, uh, rate. Basically, Michigan's offense is predicated on running the ball well with power. They run a lot of swinging offensive linemen. They run a lot of inside ISO. They run a lot of, like, gate and counter. Uh, and then they throw over the top of it. Uh, Cade McNamara, he is an above-average quarterback, but he has one of the deepest depths of targets on average in the nation. Like, he loves to throw the ball deep. His long this year is of 94. They will run play action. They will run hard play action out of the eye. They are running an offense that looks like an updated version of something from, like, 2002. Um, They have a very good defense, very athletic, led by Aiden Hutchinson, who is maybe the best pass rusher in the nation. He's in consensus overall top draft pick in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He might go first. Um, 58 tackles, 14 sacks. He is the quintessential edge rusher. He can do pretty much everything at that position. Um, UGA has only probably played one edge rusher in that stratosphere, and that's Will Anderson, who gave us fits. So if you're looking at players to watch, it's, I mean, I think it really comes down to Hassan Haskins and Aiden Hutchinson and then nobody else. Um, in terms of advanced stats. Yes. So that's nominally what we do here is the titular talk about advanced stats. stats. Yeah, and we haven't, when we're like 45 minutes into the recording, this is the first time we talked about it. Are we? Because we are bad at our jobs. All right. So <laughs> um, when you're looking up this matchup, our metrics, CBCR squared, has this matchup as uh, Georgia win. Um, they have, we have Michigan ranked first and, or sorry, we have Georgia ranked first and Michigan fourth. Uh, we have this as like a 13-point Georgia win. I don't know that I necessarily believe that. In terms of like the metrics and stats that we look at, the, that our numbers tell us correlate highly to winning, um, th- the fact of the matter is that like these are two teams that are just pretty much good at everything. There aren't really a lot of holes in any of these program in either of these uh, football teams. Um, and I could read you all this, all the numbers, but we're live and I don't want to bore anybody. But hey, man, that's part of it. Yeah, that's that's part of it. Being bad at it is part of it. But well, I at the numbers. Yeah, so <laughs> the numbers, Nathan. What I would say is that like these are two teams where UGA has a consistent statistical advantage, but not an overwhelming one. And Michigan is just not bad at anything. They're okay at everything. If anything, one of the few things they're bad at is intermediate passing when they have to pass on like third and six, third and five. But they don't really have a statistical weakness. Um, offensive and defensive points per opportunity, which is the number of points that you score when you possess the ball with inside of your opponent's forty or the number of points that you give up. Um, Georgia has a pretty good advantage there. Georgia's offensive uh, points per opportunity is, um, I think, seventh in the nation, and their their defensive is first. Mm. And then, um, you know, Michigan's points per opportunity is 35th in the nation, which is above average, but certainly not up to the rest of their stats. So I think one of the things that's really an early, if you're asking me for, like, keys to the game, which I hate saying that phrase, one of my early keys to the game is just, who converts drives inside of the opponent's 40. Like, if you have a shot at scoring points, you mm-hmm. cannot settle for three. Uh, Michigan's offense is actually averaging about four and a half points per snap inside of the 40, which is pretty good, but not great. And if you can force Michigan to kick field goals in this game, you've got a really good chance of winning because they are a team that a lot of their touchdowns are long touchdowns. They mm-hmm. haven't had actually many opportunities where they've possessed the ball inside of the opponent's 40 because they throw a lot of long touchdowns. So I think, you know, in terms of advanced statistics, it's 
it's one of those things where it's just like these are two very good teams and the big difference is that Michigan has just a good offense and UGA even after getting like pantsed against Alabama has like a historically great offense like once every 15 years or a historically great defense once every 15 years defense right so I mean I think that this to me this feels like a game where I don't know that Michigan has the the skill talent to really like run it up and down the field like Alabama did and mm-hmm. so to me that feels like a low scoring game which you have to like Georgia's chances in that situation because Georgia has a one Georgia's defense is still about per our numbers Georgia's defense is 3.1 standard deviations outside of the average defense in college football in the last like 25 years it's like a one in 9000 defense yeah it's like a once every eight or nine years defense so um I think at that point, if you're playing a low-scoring game where you're running the ball at the middle, which is what Michigan's going to do, yeah. uh, you have to like Georgia's chances because, like, Kirby Smart goes at sleep, goes to sleep with, like, like <laughs> goes to, it, his rain noises. Kirby starts rain noises when he goes to sleep. It's just, like, videos of, like, 1990s football games where everyone runs, like, the wing tee and, like, the power eye and the two back and all that. Like, that's, like, Kirby Smart dreams of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, in, in some ways, I think... Uh, there's this whole term from college football like styles make fights, right? Mm-hmm. When you have two opposing styles, it makes it for, for a very interesting game. And one of the things interesting about this game is that these are not two opposing styles. Like, the way Alabama beat Georgia was they forced Georgia to play a game they didn't want to play. Yeah. And they probably are going to do that again if we play in the national title. I'm not sure that Michigan can first force Georgia to play what they don't want to play. Like, I mean, you know, if, if you're running a swinging tackle and you're going to run outside power on Georgia, like, that's that's what they want you to do, mm-hmm. right? They want you to try to outmuscle them inside of the line of scrimmage. They don't want you to attack with downfield threats. Um, and even though Michigan does bomb the ball, I think really a lot of what they do is pre- predicated on Hassan Haskins. Yeah. So, so this is actually really interesting. You've said a few things. Uh, you've said many things. But one of the things you said specifically that I want to go back to and kind of loop around is did this Georgia and Alabama game kind of provide a blueprint for Michigan to beat Georgia offensively specifically. And the, the reason why I want to ask that question is because Alabama's EPA offensively was 21.46. Without offensive, duh, 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 let me see, without explosive plays, Alabama's offensive EPA was 0.02. So Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, and I think that the whole, the blueprint for beating Georgia this year is have a Heisman winning quarterback and two first round wide receivers, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, Michigan doesn't have that. I mean, the fact of the matter is that I still don't know that I would pick Georgia in the, if, if Georgia goes to the Natty and it's Alabama. I don't think I would pick Georgia in the rematch. But it, it, that was, I mean, like you have a guy playing, you have a guy playing a game against you where he w- basically wins the Heisman Trophy in four quarters, right? I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy in like basically three quarters. If you don't have Bryce Young, if if you replace Bryce Young with just like an eighty-five percent version of himself in that game he takes like seven sacks yeah. right and so functionally i really think that the the what what's unsustainable about that blueprint is that like people there just aren't any other teams that have the same talent that George, that alabama does like mm-hmm. it, it offensive skill talent that alabama has is like i mean it's like a whole echelon above what anybody else in the nation has right now oh yeah so the flip side of that did this Michigan-Iowa game, where Michigan scored 42 to Iowa's three, did that provide a beautiful little blueprint for us um, to play against Michigan in any way? Were there any chinks in the armor that we could see? Or is Iowa's offense just as bad as this season has kind of shown us? Well, Iowa's coach hired his son to be his offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. which is a dumb idea, and it's horrible nepotism. That's similar to if, like, my dad hired me to be a preacher at his church. 
<laughs> I would be bad at it and you it would be really a well. dumb idea. No, it would be bad and we would fail because that's nepotism, right? So uh -huh. I don't think, I, I mean, it is nepotism. It, has, would, it wouldn't work. I'm just saying, sorry, dad. <laughs> I, I don't have the I don't have the skills that you he have. He wants to hand down the family biz. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know that I would trust any performance of Iowa's offense because I think that like from like a fundamental like philosophical perspective, Iowa's offense is not the best version of itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like I mean they, they Iowa the way they went the way Iowa won a bunch of games before they lost their first they lost a couple of uh, towards the end of the year was that they turned they turned the other team over and they scored short field touchdowns. And that's not something you can reliably do against any top 10 team, much less Georgia or Michigan, right? So I don't know that it's really a blueprint to beat Michigan. I mean, I think the blueprint to beat Michigan is you stop Hassan Haskins. You know, the one game that they've lost against Michigan State this year, I, Hassan Haskins was not as good as he had been in every other game. And, you know, if you're asking me, can we stop a running back that likes to run the power? I mean, I would point, I would just like say, don't make me tap the sign and point and tap on the, the shrine that I have to Jordan Davis above my bed that I go to sleep under every night. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I, I think this is a, this is a matchup that favors Georgia just temperamentally, right? Like Georgia wants to do the things that Michigan wants to do. And historically in the Kirby smart era, if you're going to beat Georgia, you have to force Kirby smart to do something he doesn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you don't, he's just going to out talent you and grind you into dust. That's a good future game. What doesn't Kirby smart want to do? And it'll just be a oh list of all of his least favorite things. Oh, God, or we're in are front they? Of people, I can't. I can't. We're around okay. too many people to make so, these jokes. Move on. So the next segment, of course, is things we want to see. We want to kind of talk through what is it that we're seeing that is indicative, uh, indicative of of a game going well or or poorly. So what are some things that we want to see that would indicate that things are going a okay and in the right direction? All right, I need you to talk because I've just talked for like twenty minutes. Go. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, we. I, I wrote that we haven't played a team with an all-star defensive player like Hutchinson. I, I know that we played against Anderson, and that is somebody who, you're right, he was fantastic, he was a great edge rusher, but, however, uh, as far as the Heisman goes, you know, Hutchinson was, I believe, number two, number three, as far as the, the total votes goes. Um, so we're, we're going to be playing against a, a player that changes the actual momentum of a game in the way that Hutchinson does, which any player on Alabama, you could argue, does that. And so how do we, how, you know, can we keep him contained? Can we kind of shut off his lanes and make him do what we want him to do because we have so many targets? Or are they just going to be able to kind of put Bennett on his back, put Bennett on his heels so that, you know, they're, they're not going to have to worry about all the targets. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking yeah, is, I mean, is making him ineffective. I mean, one of the stereotypes of like, if you ask someone how to sound smart about football, one of the things you can say is like, oh, the offensive line, right? And like, that's something I told one of my friends. And I think, you know, this game is really going to come. Do you need something, Ben? <laughs> Are you going? I love you. I love you too. All right. Bye, bud. Bye. All right. Are we good? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, Please don't give Nathan the cheese straws. Yeah, don't. He will he, eat them. My mouth noises are hellish <laughs> without food in them. Um, I, I think, you know, basically it all comes down to offensive line play. If you can get to McNamara, you're probably going to win the game. If you give up a bunch of dumb sacks because you don't have good protection, you're probably going to lose the game. And that's always true. But it's especially true when you're playing someone with, you know, both sides of these, both defensive lines have all-star players, literal all-American players. So I think, you know, really what it's going to come down to is who can keep the quarterback upright, right? Mm -hmm. McNamara is very good, but he's not Bryce Young, right? If you can get home against McNamara, get four or five important stacks, 
you're probably going to win the game. Yeah. Um, and do we see, you know, this is something that a lot of people have blamed uh, Georgia in the, you know, after this past game, they kind of blame the offense, they blame the defense, they blame the quarterback, they, they blame the defense for being overcomplicated and, you know, schematically using a bunch of plays that we just hadn't seen all season. So do you predict this is a team that, this team, Georgia, against Michigan specifically, is this going to be what we've seen the, re- you know, the previous uh, before Alabama, or is this going to be more of the same trying to kind of trick the other team rather than rely on talent of the players? Yeah, to me, this feels like a regression to the mean game. I mean, I think you can't, even if you were playing against a below average schedule, which I think Georgia was this year, you can't perform at that level for 12 games and pretend that that doesn't wait in your predictive analysis going mm-hmm. forward. I, the fact of the matter is that like Ban- Georgia, Michigan's offense is not Bama's offense. And like fundamentally, if you score 20 points against Georgia, they're probably going to beat you, right? If you score 38, they're probably not. Yeah. And I just don't see Michigan lighting this Georgia defense up again. I mean, if anything else, it's like all Georgia has heard, all Georgia's defensive players have heard for the last like two and a half weeks is like how much they suck, which is pretty great. I mean, and honestly, like the thing that I want to <laughs> see is I really just need to see competent QB play. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Stetson Bennett. I don't care if it's JT Daniels. I don't care if it's you, Justin. Me. I'll I, be there. Yes. I know you're going to be great. And I'm going to be you. there, too. I wow. don't care who it is. Hey, we're going to be able to, like, take pictures together, buddy. That's true. We will both actually be at this uh, game. All yeah. right. So, I, yeah. I Not don't care who it is. I, I don't care. I just need this. Georgia, I just need you to play competent quarterback. Georgia, can you hear me? It's I me, Nathan. This. Yeah. It's, can you hear me, God? It's me, Nathan. <laughs> I just need someone to play confident quarterback at Georgia, and I don't care who it is. And it's been a rough year, and I haven't asked for much, Kirby Smart. I just need this one thing, please. Because if I have to drive 10 hours back from Miami after watching Stetson Bennett backpedal into throwing a pick, I'm going to die. My <laughs> body is, is going to give up like a Pokemon that's been knocked out, and I'm, and I'm going to have to be resuscitated. Like... Please, God. I, Uh-oh. Nathan fainted. Yeah. It's going to, you know, you know, like your Pokemon don't die. They like lose the will to fight. And then you white out. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Someone's going to take $30,000 from me and beat me up and beat me into unconsciousness. <laughs> I'm going to have to take Nathan yeah, to the nearest Poke Center. Yeah. You're going to have to be like, sorry, you don't I have any do Pokemon that. to play. You're going to white out and woke up in the Poke Center in Athens. And I need you to do this. Actually, I'm, that's not a bad idea to get back. It would be, but, but you would have to take like 22,000 yen from me, you know? I'm not, I'm not complaining. All right, I don't got any in right now, so. All right, <laughs> I really love talk. your notes in this. Just let me. I want to read through your notes of this segment specifically. Can we just start a competent QB? Um, please, guys, I need this. This year has been hard. Don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is Nathan to Nathan. So this is like a te- it's like a text message to myself. It's like a note you make when you're drunk and you're trying to talk to your sober self. Like, yep. hey, Nathan, it's me, Nathan. Please. Please, Please could this. we? This would be really neat, right? How did I untie my shoes sitting down? All right, so let's do some <laughs> over-unders. Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. All so, right. over-unders. Over-under, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about Stetson Bennett. Over-under two and a half Stetson Bennett sacks. Is the boy going to get on. hit a bunch? Is the premise Stetson Bennett takes these sacks or that Stetson, Stetson Bennett is doing Stetson the sacking? Bennett no. switches to defensive end and gets two and a half sacks. We're trying something new today. I'm going to say, I'm going to say under because... Daring. No, I'm doing the Oprah secret thing where I say that Stetson Bennett isn't going to start because I need it to happen. That's fair, yeah. I will also say under because, you know, I'm looking at life through rose-tinted glasses, and this is what we need right now. Yeah, I love being I think you need it too after just seeing (laughs) the last segment, but... I need a beer. All right. Yep. What do you got? 
Over under one and a half Hassan Haskins rushing touchdowns. I'm going to say over at two. I'm going to give him two touchdowns because that's still not a ton of touchdowns, but enough. Enough to give him a good day. You know, you get yours, Haskins, but it's not enough to win you one. I'm going to say under because I think, I think you know, when, when, you can get, when you give Georgia one thing to, to defend, they can defend it. Mm-hmm. All right, hit me. Oh, I like I like how you're doing you're doing the homework while the teacher takes up the assignment uh, right now. Um, don't look. Um, you're I want to know <laughs> this over under right now. Michigan rushing yards, though. I want to know. You know, um, last week, last week being the Alabama game wasn't great for us as far as rushing and uh, just general general defensive game wasn't great. So, how many rushing yards is too many rushing yards? I'm going to say 160 rushing yards over under for Michigan. I'm going to say over. Yeah. I think, I think really, I think the team, I think Michigan might get some empty yards in this one and that ultimately what it's going to come down to is like just not converting them in, into touchdowns. Um, so I think this might be like a 250 game probably. I'm going to go under. I think that we're going to have to, we're going to force them third and out for uh, McNamara. He's going to have to throw the ball. Um, and it's not going to look pretty. I think we can, con- we can kind of, we can contain the outside pieces. We can contain those, uh, those deep balls as best we can. And so they're going to have to kind of, we're going to see what happens, is what I'm trying to say. What, do you, what else you got? Over under .5, Bronk Bowers rushing, receiving touchdowns. Over! Yeah, over. Windmill slam! I will take over. On Bring those touchdowns home, baby. Everyone's favorite Napa Valley white boy, Brock Bowers. <laughs> best my, tight end in the nation. My only him. favorite Napa my Valley white boy. My adopted son, Brock Bowers. I'm his actual dad. What's I'm, your final one there? Over under 300 UGA passing yards. Gross. Under. I'm saying over because I don't want to die. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want that to be the way we win. And I, I need this. I just need this so bad. I need. This. I feel I'm so broken. My sports fandom is so broken. Do you know what I felt when the Braves won the World Series? Justin? Nothing. Nothing. He felt I nothing. felt nothing. There's an icy, gaping hole in my heart where sports fall into, and, and it's that's, like that's where I sleep at night. Nothing I can put in there. Where will I sleep will at night up. if that's full? I'm second and 26 just reamed me so good. I will never <laughs> recover. <laughs> I know I've said the right thing when you just know ignore it sexual, and you gloss Anna. over it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. So this game is predicted. UGA is predicted for eight points to win this game. It's, over yes, under it's UGA minus total. eight. UGA is minus eight. Yes. Because I hate myself and all of you, I'm going to say this is a close game. It's probably tied to three points at halftime. And this is like a one touchdown UGA game. I think UGA is probably going to win this game, but not cover. And we're, it's going to suck for everyone until we win. And then we will have to immediately think of the existential dread of playing in Alabama again. Because really, life is about watching the entropy of the universe happen, and then you die. So Georgia 28, Michigan 21. No one is happy. Everyone's upset. Michigan can go home or back to their trailer parks in Florida. In Florida? OK. Well, yeah, sure. like half of the Michigan fans of this game are going to be snowbirds that live in Florida. <laughs> Okay. It's gonna You're be right. a lot yeah, of, it's gonna be a lot of people from like like whatever retirement Palm Valley retirement mm-hmm. home and it's just like they just got lucky that their favorite wide. team yeah. is down in Florida this exactly. weekend. Exactly. What? <laughs> the villages, yeah. It's gonna be a heavily villages attended game. It's gonna That's be a, a real place. Yeah, the villages oh, like boy. a giant a giant retirement community. Yeah. Incredible. And it's mostly mostly people from Ohio and Michigan. <laughs> uh, I think this is a little bit of a wider gap. Not much more, but I think it's a Georgia thirty four, Michigan twenty one win. Um, again, not fun. It's going to be very close. I think at one point Michigan will be winning and we'll all this be is, cursing ourselves. Let we'll me be give very you one, sad. One, one more prediction uh-huh. is that 
there will be so many Michigan guy, Michigan fans that are men in the in the stands that are wearing like big puffer jackets in inappropriate weather. I promise you, there <laughs> are going to be the so many Michigan hoodies with like rolled up sleeves at this game and like 85 degree heat. It is going to happen. It's 80 degrees in Miami right now. And we're going to put on our hoodie because that's what you do at Michigan games. All right. It's dressed to every, your comfort. It's time for everyone's favorite segment on Chapel Hill Curve. Hashtag Ask CBC. Um, you know the one. Favorite, yeah. favorite because one is more than zero. So... <laughs> Incredible. So, yeah, this is the Ask CBC's segment. This is the one where you can ask your questions, and we might just answer them on the air, and sometimes in front of a group of people, which we're doing today. The uh, very first question comes from Ned Videk. Please rank SEC teams as Christmas songs. I'm assuming Alabama is all I want for Christmas is you. Yeah, we get it. You're really good. Now get the F out of here. Um, I will say that is not true because I don't want Alabama to have Mariah. It upsets me. I think Alabama is more like some Mannheim steamroller song. We're all like, we get it. Yeah, we. You're get all it. Yeah. really okay, good yeah, at music. Yeah, you're really smart. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh huh. Okay, I'm gonna say Vanderbilt is Little dr- Little Drummer Boy because nobody asked for it, and why is it here? <laughs> and everybody um, keeps doing their own rendition, and yeah, it never stops. And it's like bum bum bum, get out of here and go play <laughs> go play college baseball. Nobody <laughs> cares. Um, let's see. Um, What's Mississippi I, State? Mississippi State. Hmm. It's a way in a major because that's like an agricultural college. Okay. But it's really, it's in a way in the major that's really more about like the donkeys and the hayfeed and stuff. Uh-huh. You know? I'm going to argue that Ole Miss doesn't get one, Lane Kiffin gets one. What is Lane Kiffin as a Christmas song? What's the sexiest Christmas song? Ooh. Sa- oh, Santa oh, Santa Baby, yeah. And it's done yeah, by Lane, Lane Kiffin. Ki- Lane, Lane Kiffin gets Eartha Kitt's Santa Baby. Um, <laughs> and it's just Lane Kiffin slowly taking his clothes off to an edition <laughs> of Santa Baby. I need you all to think about that. Um, and I'm sad. And he looks over his like Oakley shades at you, like and winks. All right, next. <laughs> um, what song would the South Carolina Gamecocks be? Uh, that would be Dayroot Sandstorm. Next question. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Christmas song. Uh, incredible. Give me a Florida one. Um, maybe like Feliz Navidad. You know, it's like kind of mm-hmm. like tropical. It's like Christmas, but it's hot outside. You know, it's like yeah. And it's that one was unoriginal. I'm sorry. Very much appropriated. And it's like 85 degrees in Gainesville, like 300 days a year. Like, come on. Try, and they're all trying to enjoy Christmas. 14, I have to have 14 good answers. Some of them are going to be bad. <laughs> Could be White Christmas. Uh, like ironically, White Christmas. Yeah. Or yeah. 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 Okay. That's I get it. That's very yeah. good. So give me an LSU one. I really want to know. Are there any good? Uh, New Orleans, What's big band. Yeah, oh no, you know what it is? It's Duke Ellington's version of Sugar Plum Fairies, which is called Sugar Rum Cherries. Oh. It's okay. like a New Orleans big band version of the Sugar Plum, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. Um, which, which school is Wham's Last Christmas? Hmm. Probably Florida, because I hate them both. <laughs> no, Florida is, what's the Paul McCartney Christmas song? Oh, uh, it's Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time. Yeah. I do hate that one. We played three notes for you and made a Christmas song out of it. Shut up, Paul McCartney. All right. (laughs) And what is Georgia's? Hmm. Do we give them All I Want for Christmas is You? Georgia's is my Chemical Romance's version of All I Want for Christmas is You. Because it's like a a classic, but also like deeply, deeply broken and needs to go to therapy. (laughs) Give them what they need, not what they want. Yeah. Uh, Next question comes from Christy. And London, which Chris D. in London changed his name to Christy and London. Uh, that's an inside joke. That's very good. If the over-under for the game is 45, which do you think is more likely, a defensive slugfest where the teams combine for fewer than 25 points or a shootout where the teams combine for more than 70? Man after my own heart, 
Yeah, I'm going to say it's the, the one that's more likely is probably two teams combined for fewer than 25 points. But because I'm going to be there, I really hope that doesn't happen because I have to stay until the fourth quarter no matter what happens. <laughs> you know, like I can't leave. Yeah. I'm, no locked in the, I'm locked in the house with the wet bandits, and I really need this to not be bad. All right. <laughs> Ryan asks, how TF are you guys watching these games now that YouTube TV does not have ESPN? Well, I think my wife just got us Hulu Live, so... Yeah, like an hour ago while we yeah, were Yeah, like while we were setting up for this, Samantha got us Hulu Live. So yep. party at my house for everyone who hears this. We're um, all heading over. Uh, Drew Lance, what are the odds that Cincinnati actually wins against Bama since so far Georgia hasn't? The irony alone in that happening makes me irrationally optimistic. I'm, it's like less than 20%. But if it did happen and then we won the Natty against Cincinnati and didn't beat Alabama, it's like... What's the word for What's when you're point? crying and laughing at the same time? <laughs> like you're crying and it's real sad crying, but you're laughing out of kind of like desperation. That's what it would feel That's like. That's it. That's the one. I'm going to uh, – so earlier today, Authentic actually posted a, uh, something on their social media that said, this is happening. This Chapel Bell Curve thing is happening. Come see the show. And they added an note about the owner saying that he thinks Georgia lost because of good TV. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts because here in this establishment. What? Because of good TV, they, they lost to make it interesting. They lost to make it interesting, and then, you know, to come back around and play them again in the national championship, because that sells well. Is so this, so here so in this establishment because, because that it, has been so oh, gracious. The, yeah, the thought, the thought being that <laughs> I want you to if Georgia loses, then they'll have two teams in the, in the college football yeah. playoff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So is I want that, you to diplomatically explain your feelings about is that. Is the owner of lovely, here? He could be. They could be. Hey, is the owner here right now? No. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get kicked out. <laughs> I would say, He's not that, say anything rude. Like, like any conspiracy theory that I'm not going to say anything bad. <laughs> like any. This cons- was not in our notes. Like by any the way. conspiracy theory, this one conspiracy theories rely on large groups of people telling the same lie consistently, and I think, especially in the age of social media, that conspiracy theories for the most part, are functionally untenable because of the like instantaneous and democratized spread of information. So no, I don't think Georgia lost because of good TV. I think they lost because they got their asses kicked. Yep. And they got out game planned, which is a sadder answer, but is, the I think, the correct answer. And at the end of the day, we're just watching a, a TV show where teenage I mean, boys look, run around a field here, with an the, oblong Here's the ball. other thing I'll say. I somebody's got to lose. I absolutely believe the SEC wanted Alabama to win so they could have two teams in the national mm-hmm. title in the college football playoff. That's not up for question. But whether or not, I mean, can you look? I've worked with some people at the SEC. They're not the most competent people in the world. So the premise is that the SEC, which barely like pays its bills uh-huh. and is just basically made to funnel money into all of these functional like cartels, that the SEC is competent enough to run like a massive moon landing style conspiracy theory, and just also. Most of the SEC refs are like lawyers in their day jobs. They're just bad at their jobs. It's not a conspiracy theory. They're just bad at their jobs. They're all like Southern lawyers who are getting off mass murderers or whatever. It's like they're not. Yeah. They're not experts. All right. Next question. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Before we do go into the final segment of the show, I do want to ask just in general, does anybody that's listening, do you have a question for us before we, we move into the next place? It's okay if you don't. Just want to make sure. What you got? Over under. It's Tim Kelly. Over oh. under 60% Michigan fans. Oh, it's going to be. I'm, gonna, I'm saying way over. Way I, over? I think it might be like a 70% Michigan fans. Really? Yeah, I think it's going to be like everyone who's snowbirding is coming to like watch Michigan beat the like 
you know, average state university down south mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, who, wh- wh- which of these teams gets the bandwagon, the bandwagon effect? Oh, it's Michigan. It's Michigan. So? Oh, it's Michigan. It's the underdog Tom, story. Tom Brady is still playing unquote. in the NFL. Tom Brady plays in Tampa. Yeah, that's true. How many, here's the, here's the real question is, like, what percentage of the, what percentage of the stands is going to be, like, Michigan, Lakers, Yankee, Duke fans? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, and they were, and they, and they're what, they used to be New England Patriots fans, but now they're, like, yeah, Tampa Bay fans or whatever. You Man. know what I mean? Yeah, that'll be the case study we do down there in Miami. The final segment of the show we'll get to now is one of our favorite segments. It's the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner presented by Cheerwines, the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. The very first question, Nathan, comes in as, is Michigan good enough that I shouldn't feel better about playing them than OSU? I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, Ohio State is is obviously a worse team than Michigan, but they're a worse matchup. Second question, since they are Wolverine, which X-Men are we? Hmm. Which Hugh Jackman are we? No, I hate Cyclops. No, we're John Valjean if we're Hugh Jackman. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, like, you know, try really hard at something and then fail. Okay. Which X-Men are we? Which X-Men which is X-Men? Georgia? Which X-Men is Kirby Smart? I'm going to say we are... Could uh, we be the Blob? No, we're not the Blob. Come on. <laughs> try, try better than that. Um, I want to be Gambit, but I already know LSU not, has a vice Gambit, grip on LSU, Gambit. Yeah. Just because I grew up wanting to be Gambit myself. Yeah. Got a real bad Cajun accent, though. It doesn't work out for me. Um, we're not the chicken one, but I kind of want to say we're the chicken one. The chi- um, what chicken one? You know, the what one that's chicken in, do you think the one is on that's the X-Men? In Exiles? There's an X-Man that's in Exiles that's basically just like a guy with a chicken All right, head. hold on. Chicken one X-Men. His name's Beak. His yeah. name's Beak? Yeah, he's like one of the main, the main guys on the map. My chicken boot. He's one of the main guys in the Exiles. Read a oh, book, Justin. Read a All right. Book. Um, <laughs> I'm a student say, at Xavier Institute. I'm going to say Emma Frost because I don't feel anything. And really, a lot of my meanness is self-defense because of my deep trauma that I have not yet resolved. It's a real shame that Beak doesn't go just by his, his actual name, which is Barnell Bohusk. Barnell Bohusk is good. That's a powerful name. I, like, I love Storm, but I think I like to Storm too much to make her Georgia. So, just, yeah. <laughs> Describe the drunkest-looking member of the audience. That's his next question. Nobody's really... I don't think anyone's drunk. Well, John is hiding behind a mask, so... So we're going to assume that it's... Yeah. (laughs) Oh. Sorry for outing you with your whole name, John. (laughs) John your social security number will be attached. (laughs) A list of John's greatest fears and the places he frequents the most are... Uh, which current Sousa players would I get along with the best and the least? James wants to know. No, James, you were bad at being a Sousa player. You would not get along with any of them. <laughs> so I will say, though, my wife, who has, by her own admittance, said, I am mediocre at best as a Sousaphone player. So maybe they'd get along pretty well. Huh? James Bearfield? No, you the would doctor not like himself. James Bearfield. No. Nope. He, he's bad. He's bad he's at his ba- job. <laughs> he's bad at his job. He's, he's bad at his job. He's, he's as good at being a doctor as he is bad at being a Sousa player. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dr. James Bearfield. It's really staggering that he made it all the way through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he almost got kicked out of Redcoats like 15 times. It's impressive. He was like actively trying to get kicked out of Redcoats. He was like the guy who wants the severance benefit from getting fired. And he did owe a lot of money. All he right, owed moving. a lot of money? That's okay. Sorry, James. My wife doesn't like you. Which physics paradox... <laughs> Which physics paradox would you equate to this upcoming game and why, Nathan? Reach into your deep bag of paradoxes. Uh, Paradoxes? He has Googled it. He's thinking about more. The one he has pulled up on his... The Wikipedia article he has is Maxwell's Demon. I don't know about this one. You're going to have to come closer. 
your wife just threw a cheese straw at me to hit my boob. All right, so. Um, Doing great. I'm going to say Maxwell's Demon because it relies, Maxwell's Demon is a, um, it's a thought paradox uh, or a thought experiment about violating the second laws of thermodynamics using a massless door and a demon that can sort uh, excited and unexcited particles. It doesn't matter. Uh, because <laughs> Anyway, the reason I would compare it is because much like any Georgia game, Maxwell's Demon relies on like, Satan being there and making the right choices to make you confused. You know what I mean? Maxwell's demon is about a, like a demon that does things that break the laws of physics in the same way that every Georgia game is about punishing Georgia fans for crimes in their former lives. <laughs> Boom. Off Incredible. The That's the last James Beerfield question I have, but I did want to uh, go out on a, a high note here with Joel's question. Is it safe to hope? It's always safe to hope. Without hope, what do we have? You what know? do we have? I, what do you think? All. I'm some kind of nihilist? Yes. Yes, I do. In fact, I do. And, uh, I'm not a nihilist. No, I just, I'm not a nihilist. I just don't feel anything anymore because I've been at every major college football loss in the past 15 years, and they all involved my team losing. So that, that's our, that is our show. That's you want the me whole to do show. the outro? I don't think you have to do the real outro. That would be kind of weird to do the whole outro, I feel, here, but we didn't really think through this part. Yeah? Do I, hate, I hate this crowd so much. All right. <laughs> This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. All of you shut up. I'm rolling. You can get in touch <laughs> with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve. Have a great weekend. And, and, yeah, have a great weekend. Thank you for staying. And for anywhere else on, Google, on uh, social media, at Chapel Bell Curve. You can email us if you want to yell at us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We would I'm love upset that nobody put a note in your pocket. No one put a note in my pocket. Yeah. Um, we would love to hear from you with a rating and a review, and you can leave those on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the wall of Authentic Brewings. Uh, one of Authentic Brewings, many very nice all-gender bathrooms, which I really appreciate from like a universal leave, access. Leave a review in the bathroom. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, very, it's very cool. All right. Anyway, uh, if, you really if you really liked what you heard here today and you want to get involved in any more, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapelbellcurve for as little as $1 a month. You can, buy, you can join a group of idiots who were stupid enough to pay money and then show up here <laughs> for this very bad podcast. We will, we will catch you on New Year's Eve in, I guess, northern Miami or I don't know what it's we'll called. It's not Coral Gables. We'll but be whatever. there with Pitbull. We'll it's be, me, yeah, Pitbull, it'll and It'll be Nathan. me and Mr. Worldwide and then uh, Pitbull. That's uh, the same person. No, you're Mr. Worldwide. Oh, I'm in Mr. This Worldwide. Yeah. Incredible. Okay, All thank right. you. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> All right, in the recording, I have too much stress. I need a drink. Yeah. <laughs>